from one of the most haunted army bases in the United States at Fort Leavenworth, to the ghost of the Saline River, to the spirits that to the spirits that watch over Moon Lake, Kansas has no shortage of creepy stories to freak you out. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true stories from the great state of Kansas. As always, if you have a story from your home state that you would like to share in this series, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net. Now, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true Kansas horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Hello Swamp Dweller, my name is Lane. I live in southeast Kansas and I'm going into the 10th grade. Four of my friends and I went on an overnight camping trip on some of my father's property we have for this exact purpose. This place is only about two miles outside of town but is surrounded by woods. So when we got there, we unpacked, started a fire, started cooking dinner, and just screwed around like high schoolers do. But at about 12pm or around 1am, I don't remember the exact time, but it was somewhere around midnight. We went on a couple of four-wheelers, and I was sitting on the back of my friend's four-wheeler. We were driving on a random country road when we turned onto a gravel road that we were on for about a half mile when we stopped and decided to turn around and find a better route. You need to know we had two four-wheelers and four of us, two guys on each four-wheeler. One could do almost 80 miles per hour and the other one could do about 50. So the other two sped off and then we went. We only went about 30 feet or so when something jumped out of the wood line that I can only describe as a dog twice the size of a German Shepherd. But it had red eyes. And when it growled, it sounded like something that came straight from hell. This is the best description I can give you, as we only saw it for a split second. As soon as we passed, my friend sped up and was going the full 50 miles per hour. And somehow, some way, this thing kept up with us. We hit a set of railroad tracks and went 10 feet into the air. When we hit the ground, this thing was gone. When we returned to our camping site, we told the others what happened. We then put a lot of wood in the fire and just sat there talking about what we should do next. When we decided we would tape knives to the end of long sticks, go out to my friend's truck, and see if we could find this thing. So, we did exactly that. Three of us were in the truck cab, I was in the bed, and another was on a four-wheeler following us. When we got to the road, we didn't see the thing, so we parked to see if we could wait for it. After a few minutes, we saw glowing red eyes about a hundred yards away. We watched it for about 10 minutes when they disappeared. A couple of seconds later, they appeared only 10 to 15 feet away from us. But we never heard or saw a single ounce of movement. Then, the thing from earlier jumped out at us, and we hauled ass away from it. The SOB kept up with us, going 95 miles per hour. And the same thing happened. That happened earlier when we jumped the railroad tracks. The thing disappeared when we got back to the campsite. We just sat by the fire for another hour or so, when we started to freak out. We said F it, we ran to the truck, doing burnouts, revving, and street racing down the road because we're a bunch of a-holes. You need to know that we do have other people who lived around this property, so that explains what happens next. When we stopped, we heard gunshots and bullets hitting trees around us, and somebody was walking in the trees 20 yards from us. But there was nothing more than that. 
About 20 minutes later, we decided to go to Walmart and screw around again. Only three of us went. The other two stayed back, and when we got there, apparently some sort of country folk were following us. Sorry this took so long, but it took a while because there were so many events that went down. As for those country folk, they gave us a hard time, but they were seemingly nice enough. Thank you for reading my story, and I will send you some more in the future. Spirits have surrounded my family since anyone can remember. Suitable, evil, and those that wander. But here's a lighter story than what is usually shared. It's about my mother and I. Well, me. But I only know this story because oral tradition is still very prevalent in my family. I was a baby when this happened. My mother was driving to Emporia from Pratt. I had a date with my dad or to see one of my aunts. I'm not sure which. It was late at night and tiny me had kept my mother on edge, or mom. On a particularly sharp turn on the highway, out of nowhere, this one car comes speeding at her with the high beams on and hits her. My mother blacks out. Now this is important. My mom was blocked in, and I was in the back where I should be. But the next time she wakes up, she's kneeling outside the car covered in cuts, scratches with me in her arms, screaming. Not a single scratch was on me. The airbag even had her blood on it, Yet she managed to get out, then get me out of the car seat. If you ever messed with car seats, you know how frustrating those can be. Then out of the car. She never remembered how or why. Interesting story, right? That's not the end of it. We are several miles from any town, and no cars have seemed to come by since the wreck happened. A minute or two goes by after she regains consciousness. My mother can't remember exactly how long, and an old car pulls up. An old couple steps out and talks to her, offering help. Mom is, of course, worried about her baby. The couple reassured her that I was okay. Instead, they insisted on taking my mom to the nearest hospital to check herself out. This was when cell phones weren't as prevalent because they were super expensive and relatively brand new. On the drive, they tell where they lived in their... On the drive, they told her where they live in their names doing their absolute best to calm my mother down. She had never been in a wreck before. When they got to the hospital, they helped her to the doors. A late night nurse sees my mom and takes her inside with me. The couple promises to visit my mother in the morning and leaves. The following day, my mom wakes up and sees mostly everything is okay. She's not hurt too badly and is preparing to be released with me. She calls her uncle to pick her up and talks to the cops as she waits. Before she leaves, she remembers the lovely old couple. She asked the nurses if they came to see her, the people who helped her get there. The nurse just stares at her and tells her that she came in on her own. No one dropped her off. My mom finds this odd but tells her, thank you, and scurries off in confusion. After her uncle picks her up, she asks to go to the address wanting to thank the friendly people. Being the old-fashioned country man he is, he said yes. They go to the address and knock on the door. A young man opens the door. My mom kindly asks for the couple by name. The man looks at her oddly. What he said shocked What he said next shocked her. He told her that the old couple had died years ago at the very same turn in the road, the same place where she had had her accident. Ever since then, she said a small thank you under her breath to the couple when driving that curve to make sure that they know 
that she is very appreciative that her and her baby are safe. I thought I'd share this story about something a friend and I saw years and years ago while cruising the back roads of Kansas late at night, and maybe you can use it in an upcoming video. My friend and I were young adults around 2007 and 2008 in a small town with nothing much to do, so one summer between college semesters, we decided to explore the back roads of our part of the state at every chance. We spent much time driving down those dirt roads. Our favorite route wound through the country roads of a town near the Oklahoma border, twisting through the Jip Hills and taking us through a few ghost towns along the way. We'd set out late on this night and hadn't gotten to our route yet until maybe 1 o'clock in the morning. We must have taken a wrong turn onto a previously unexplored road because we quickly noticed that we were lost. We were chatting up a storm and sipping on our tea before we even realized this though. I was riding as a passenger looking out the window into the darkness of the Kansas summer night. Not much to see but endless stars overhead. I can't remember what we were talking about at the time, probably our future or something, but as we cruised at about 45 miles down the dirt road I saw something that startled me. Up ahead, caught by the headlights of my friend's car, I saw a shape stand up tall alongside the road. My friend saw it too, pumping the brakes. Initially I thought it was a deer, a widespread feature of the Kansas landscape, and it was about the right size to be a deer. It was only about four to five feet tall if I had to guess. Whatever it was, it turned to look right at us, and its eyes lit up in a glare of the headlights. They were bright red, almost, almost crimson. As soon as it looked at us, it darted across the road at an inhuman speed. That's when we realized this was no deer. Neither of us got a good look at what it was. It moved away way too fast, but the details we could agree on were that it was relatively tall, four or five feet tall, covered in dark fur, and was running on two legs. We sat there in the middle of the road looking at each other for a moment, with that WTF expression on both of our faces. And when my friend decided to goose it and get out of there, we hauled down that dirt road far away from whatever the heck that thing was. We couldn't stop speculating. What the hell was that thing? My friend suggested it was a chupacabra. I threw out maybe a small Bigfoot. Whatever it was, it was extraordinary. Neither of us had ever seen it. And what happened next was just as bizarre. Heading towards us at roughly 1.30am on a summer night, about 30 miles from the nearest inhabited town was a pair of headlights. Nothing too odd about that really at first glance, even though we were way out in the sticks. There were still farms. The vehicle caught up to us quickly. He had to have easily doubled our speed, maybe about 75 to 85 miles per hour. As he roared past us, we noticed the vehicle details, a large late model white SUV. Not the farm truck you'd expect. And why was he going so fast? He was going way too fast to make out a plate. Weird, we thought. Chalk it up to another one of the weird and high strangeness events that we would encounter in this area. But that still wasn't all. As soon as his headlights disappeared into our rearview mirror, back in the direction we had just seen the thing, no less than a fresh set of headlights appeared ahead. This vehicle was also screaming at us. 
As it passed us, we noticed that it had the same model as the last car. It was another large white SUV. Another vehicle followed shortly behind that one, as if that wasn't creepy enough. This time, it was a large white van. It looked new, and it was hauling ass. My friend and I don't talk anymore, but we both witnessed something strange in the middle of nowhere Kansas that night. What was that thing we saw? And what were those three big white vehicles heading in its direction? Thanks for reading my story and keep up the great show. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. If you have a packed schedule this fall, HelloFresh makes meals covered with a weekly selection of 30-plus recipes and 70-plus convenience items all delivered to your door. Now, more than ever, we're all looking for ways to save some money. In fact, HelloFresh is 25% less expensive than takeout and is even cheaper than grocery shopping as well. HelloFresh is here to make the hectic fall weeknights a little bit easier. So, come join me and many others in the swamp today. Go to hellofresh.com swamped16 and use code swamped16 for 16 free meals across 7 boxes and 3 free gifts. Again, go to hellofresh.com swamped16 and use code SWAMPED16 for 16 free meals across 7 boxes and 3 free gifts. Join me and everybody else in the swamp and find out why HelloFresh is the swamp's number one meal kit. When I was still young, maybe 6 or 7, my folks got the great idea of converting our garage into a family and game room. This was the 80s. The concept of the family game room was becoming popular, primarily because of the rise of arcades and the availability of having arcade games and consoles like the Atari 2600 to the consumer market. It was indeed a fantastic time to be a kid. Although my parents often used the garage to store things, my dad grew tired of being unable to watch TV because my brother and I constantly were playing video games. He had seen a conversion a neighbor who had decided that this would be the best way to get his television back. First, he traveled to a local hardware superstore and purchased a steel shed to make up for the storage space he'd be losing. Along with a six-pack of Miller High Life, he spent a few days putting it up in our backyard. Despite falling in on himself within a year, he seemed pleased with his work. His next step was to find a company to do the conversion for a fair price. He called every company in the phone book, but they wanted more than he wanted to pay. After asking around, a friend recommended a group of guys who had remodeled his kitchen for dirt cheap. Since my dad was a first-class cheapskate, these were the guys for him. After much haggling, they were contacted, and dad hired them for the job. My dad was in such a hurry to regain control of the TV that he couldn't wait until the spring to start the renovation. As a result, the guys could use the space heaters to be comfortable working in the Kansas winter. From the start, these guys were nothing but trouble. When they did show up at the house, which was very rarely, they did very little and often called it a day by 3pm. My dad had to call several times to complain. Once or twice, he even had to make them redo some piece of shoddy work. If I remember right, my mother tried to get him to fire the guys and hire a new company, 
but regardless of all the headaches, my dad was a miser to the bone. Eventually, he would be forced to get a new set of contractors. However, this was only because a near-deadly disaster would force him to. One night, Billy, my little brother, and I would be put to bed just like any other evening. At some point, my mother would shake me awake in the middle of the night. She was yelling and had a very panicked look on her face. I slowly started to rise when I began to smell smoke. My mother was next to the door, yelling at my brother. It wasn't long before the smoke caused me to start choking and coughing. I remember putting on my robe when my mother ran back into my room carrying Billy on her shoulder. I don't think he was even awake yet, really. She pushed me out of the room and we ran down the hall toward the front door. My dad was standing in the foyer. He must have been waiting for us. By then, the house had filled with thick black smoke, but I couldn't see any fire. This changed once we all made it out to the front lawn. I stood with the rest of my family watching the flames engulfing the house and illuminating the neighborhood. Fire trucks arrived a minute later, and we all got checked out by the paramedics. They fought the fire for over an hour, but the house was already done for. We would be living in a motel for the next six months or more. About a week after the fire, Dad got the report that stated it had been started by a faulty space heater in the garage. I can only imagine how furious he was to read this. This still didn't stop him from wanting to hire a Yahoo back to rebuild the house. My mother put her foot down at this point. However, when she threatened to take Billy and me and move in with her parents, my dad folded and hired a reputable company to do the job. I'm suspicious that he only chose them because he wasn't paying for them. The check from the insurance company did cover all the costs, luckily. He probably would have found another group of cowboy builders to do the job and keep the extra money if he could, but I don't think he thought of that. I love the man, but Jesus. The work was completed relatively quickly. My parents chose to have the new house rebuilt in almost the same design as the original. The significant difference was the construction of a large game room at the back. The family would spend most of our next 10 years there, even dad. The garage was put back to work storing things, and the shed was left to collapse. There's still a big pile of rusty steel all these years later. I was visiting my girlfriend and her family in Lawrence, Kansas, for the holidays when we decided to go to Stull Cemetery one night. It was about 20 minutes away from her home. Her father always likes to go exploring and her parents are night people, which I love. So every day, none of us would go to bed until about 5am the following day. The night we decided to go, we left around 4am and her mother chose to stay in. Her father, my girlfriend and I decided to go to Stull. We parked next to the church across the street from the cemetery. I was already a little nervous as her dad warned us about the town not allowing people into the cemetery very often and they're fairly hostile. There is a cop usually posted up there to ensure no one trespasses onto the cemetery, but luckily there was no cop this time. When we stepped out of the car, the silence felt heavy, like a weight in the air. It was holding back even the wind. We left the car and crossed the street. To my surprise, there was no fence to jump over or even a gate. The entrance was wide open, and we walked right through. We passed some of the graves and visited a few. I wonder how recently some of the graves were made as the ground felt spongy beneath us. It was dark and we didn't want to attract much attention, so flashlights weren't being used, so we had to do the most with the streetlight. 
Passing the graves, we passed this lone, contorted, dead tree at a bend that took us up the hill. At the top of this hill sat the rubble of the church that used to reside there. According to my girlfriend's dad, the town tore down the church in the 90s because hundreds of people would go and vandalize the property at all points of the year, especially in Halloween. According to the local legend, if you threw a glass bottle at the back of the church wall and it didn't break, Satan would appear and drag you to hell. Anyway, the rubble of this church was still there. We walked around it, on it, and moved stuff around looking for anything exciting. Anything like a trinket or maybe even a sign from the paranormal. We found nothing but these weird scratches on some of the stones along the front perimeter of the rubble. Too organized to be an animal, but it could have been some kids fooling around. We looked around for about 20 or 30 minutes, went behind the church toward the creepy looking dead trees, and went around some of the brushes, and went around some of the bushes surrounding the perimeter. Because it was so quiet, we couldn't hear a car coming from a couple of miles away. Because it was so quiet, we could hear a car coming from miles away. So we would once again turn off our flashlight to ensure we would not be seen. After a while, my girlfriend found an unbroken glass bottle lying on the grass in front of the perimeter of the church. It was an empty Corona beer bottle. I immediately thought it would be funny to pick it up and place it along the back perimeter of the church, where the wall was, and then throw it and see if it would break. She called her dad and me over, and so we went. And when she saw that I was going to bend over and pick up the bottle, she turned away. Later, she told me she couldn't believe I would touch the glass bottle. Her dad was to the left of me, pointing a flashlight at the bottle, and my girlfriend was behind me. And the second I touched it and picked up the bottle, we heard a strange sound. It sounded like gas or fizzing. The bottle was empty, though. And it sounded like it was coming from 15 feet or so away, towards the back of the rubble. Immediately, her dad and I pointed our flashlights toward the sound and saw nothing, but maybe three seconds after the fizzing noise, we heard a weird gargling sound and some clipping. It sounded like some sort of creature, but I couldn't identify what it was possibly. Her father later told us that he had been in Kansas all of his life and had never heard a sound like that. Stranger still was that if it was some sort of animal or fauna, don't you think it would have been freaked out and ran away from all the noise we were making? We never found the source of the sound. After holding the bottle for a little while, searching for the sound, and hearing my girlfriend say that she couldn't believe I picked it up, I finally dropped the bottle and took a couple of photos, most of which I don't think I have access to anymore. We then made our way back to the car, certainly spooked out, and when we got back to the car, the lights were on inside the vehicle, when we definitely left them off. We could see it in the distance as we approached it, the only light source in a sea of darkness. We got to the car, checked all the doors, and they were all indeed locked and closed. I thought maybe one of us had left the door open. When we got inside the car, something just felt creepy and off and static. No one remembered turning on these lights or anything on the contrary. But we remembered turning them off because my girlfriend's dad was changing the batteries in one of the flashlights before we even got to Stoll. Well, that was our experience. I'm curious to see if anyone has any similar experience in Stoll Cemetery or otherwise. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true horror stories from the state of Kansas. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. 
The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that's incredibly helpful to help the swamp grow its ever-expanding waters. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us, hit that subscribe button, and turn on your notifications to never miss a new upload as I upload them nearly every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you're on the go and don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you'd like to support the Swamp outside of all of that, maybe check out the merch store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. If you have a story that you would like to share from your home state, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net. I'd love to share your story. If you want to keep up with me outside of YouTube, be sure to follow me on Twitter, Discord, Instagram, and Facebook. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.